Hello and welcome to episode 166 of Page One, the Writer's Podcast. I'm Tarek. I'm Marco and thanks for joining us on the podcast where we like to speak to writers of all kinds about their writing careers, find out how they got into the industry and try and get as many hints and tips from them as possible. Uh, and we've got a great, I know I say this every week, but we do have a great back catalogue of <laughs> They're guests. They're all great. They're all yeah, great. they are. So if you haven't uh, checked out uh, previous episodes, have a scroll through the names and I'm sure there'll be some that you want to listen to but we have a great guest this week as well yeah but this week we're chatting with the wonderful Heidi Swain who has written a an absolute smorgasbord of books uh, dating back to 2015 I believe her first book came out and since then she's put out she's one of these incredible authors who's able to write two books a year a summer book and a Christmas book we've chatted a couple of like that before in the past and it's a really interesting setup I think um, and she's had a really interesting route into the industry as well yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and interesting how she gets her first book picked up as well directly by the publisher rather mm. than through an agent. But we chat to her about all of that. Um, I should say that we recorded this back in March. So when we're talking about her book coming out next month, it's actually already out and you can pick that up right now. And we'll put a link in the podcast description, of course. But we'll get straight into the episode now after a quick advert for a writer's notebook and then we'll be back at the end of the podcast with a bit more chat and to let you know about next week's guest. But for now, on with the podcast. The blank page. To some, it's terrifying, an obstacle to overcome. But we prefer to think of it as an opportunity, a blank canvas to be filled with all of the adventures and characters in our head. So how to overcome that fear? Well, we all know the best advice for a writer is write. Seriously, get words on the page and more will follow. But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those top thrillers you like to read. Or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? Structure and planning. As aspiring writers ourselves, we've tried many different methods to try and organise all the thoughts about the stories we want to tell. We've been there searching for a piece of scrap paper to note something down, or making a quick note on our phone in between meetings. Or sometimes we'll make a note in whatever notebook we're carrying, or a document on our laptop so we don't forget that great idea. Let's be honest, it can all be a bit messy and it's easy to lose track of everything. And that's when we realise it's not just a story that needs structure and planning, but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well. And so we made page one. Page one is more than just another notebook. It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project, divided into easy to use sections that will help you plan your story so that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. And then afterwards, once it's written, we realized you need to plan how to let people read it. So we included a section relating to submissions. Each one is designed for one project. Whether you want to write a book, screenplay, a comic or any other kind of story. We truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps. We can't wait to read what you come up with. And remember, every story starts with page one. Did you always want to be a writer? Yes. 
There you go. Short, okay. succinct. There you go. That's, <laughs> oh, yes. that's no, I, I did. I, I always wanted to, um, yeah, I always wanted to, to tell stories. It took me forever to start doing it, but it was something that I knew I wanted to do from a very young age. Mm-hmm. And and I think I'm right in saying that you bought um, lots of notebooks in, in pursuit of that goal, but never actually, so never actually filled them up. You've been reading up. I've got a bookcase behind <laughs> me that you can probably see here and another one across this side. And yes, oh, I used to spend all my pocket money on notebooks, again, from a really young age. And I just, I would open them. Sometimes I would put my name on the, you know, on the first page. And that was as far as it, it got. The thought of spoiling these beautiful, clean pages with words that would yeah. end up being wrong. Yeah, I couldn't do it. So yes, huge collection of notebooks. But I've got better at that now. I'm you know, I'm embracing the mistakes, which is, I think it's a big leap to make, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, I think so. You have to There's accept that. that the first thing that you're writing isn't going to be. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And once you get over that, it, well, I'm not going to say it becomes easier because actually I think it gets harder, but you you can, you can kind of do it. You can, you can get on with it at that point. Yeah. yeah. You kind of have that image in your head of, of what it's going to be in that, that there's a certain fear almost of, anything you put down will not be anywhere close to what that is and you'll never get to that point and what's absolutely yeah that's it that's it exactly because once when it's in your head it's not tangible is it it's It's not trying to create it so it's in that perfect bubble but then when you actually start to start to write it it becomes a different beast and you know you always end up with something completely different to where you or i do um i always end up somewhere completely different to where i started so yeah and and so so what was it that that um, got you over that initial initial hurdle and and actually started you writing? Um, to, to, well, to take my writing seriously, it was the marching on of time. You know, you look in the mirror and you do realise, as Dolly Parton says, that it's marching across your face. And if you don't do something about it soon, you know, you're never gonna you're never gonna make it. Yeah. So um, I had uh, three years at university, got a degree in literature. I worked on a newspaper for a year. I was always messing about with other people's words, but never actually having the confidence to 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 write my own. Um, and then I had a blog for my hens, for my rescue chickens, and I had um, a monthly column in a local parish magazine. And you know, it was words, but it wasn't it wasn't fulfilling me. Mm-hmm. And I thought I really need to I really need to have a go at this. So I started writing short stories. Um, Because I thought that would be the easier way in, but anybody who's written short stories knows just how difficult that limited word is. Um, And then I took a couple of creative writing courses in Norwich and I thought, right, I'm I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to see if I can write 100,000 words and not, you know, not stress over it too much. Nobody else is going to see this. It's going to end up in the box file under the bed. So just go for it but that that it was age it was age that made me think if I don't have a go at this soon I'm going to miss the boat which I don't think is necessarily true at all I think you actually make if you're going to make the leap you make it when you're ready to do it irrespective of yeah yeah but for me that that's a good attitude that kind of you know even if you write something as a hundred thousand words of absolute crap nobody is going to read them if you don't want them to you know so and it's all practice and it's it's that kind of it's idea of nobody is amazing at something the first time they try it so it's exactly, would exactly. Be any different. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think that was kind of, that was the expectation that I'd had. The first thing that I had to do had to be brilliant, otherwise I couldn't do it. Yeah. And now I know, you know, if I went back and read my first novel and I reread my 17th novel, if I couldn't see a difference between them, if I didn't think I was was improving, what's the point? You know, we never yeah, stop yeah, learning. Yeah. So uh, that's, a, that's a tough one to take, though, because you obviously want to be amazing at it from the start because it's your dream. It's what you've wanted to do since... You know, you've been able to string literally string a sentence together. Yeah. <laughs> and and did, did doing the courses that you did did that did it sort of help to be in a group that are all you know they're everyone's sort of putting themselves out there in terms of the writing and things like that. So does that help as well get over over the fears? It was kind of it was a mixed thing, really. You know, there are some amazing writers in that group and that could be quite intimidating because mm. you're comparing what you've written to what they've written. There was a lot of sharing, a lot of critiquing that went on. So that's um, that was that was a really steep learning curve. But again, you are all there for the same reason, because you want to make marks on the page and tell a story. Mm. So, um, yeah, it was I, I wouldn't say it was a completely comfortable experience, but I do feel that it was that it was an important one. It was nice to have that that sort of community. And I uploaded the short stories that I wrote to um, an online page called Shortbread Stories. I don't know if it exists anymore, but that was a wonderful online community. And we all used to comment on each other's stories and things. And, and you know, that was interesting. That was great. And, and then what was the point where you thought, actually, I, I, I want to make this leap now to full length? You know, what... what... Was that something you'd always wanted to try the full length, or was was it was yeah. the short it more like a stepping stone to that point for you? No, it, that was that was always the end goal. I think it was you know doing the shopping every week with the kids in the trolley and going around that book aisle and seeing names of authors who I respected and seeing the books there that I that I loved. I thought, yeah. God, you know that that's what I want. I want to see my books on the shelf of a supermarket and in a library and in an indie bookshop. And that was that was always the main goal. Um, and I think once I had made that decision that I was going to make it happen, I had crossed through that big thing that's because, you know, this is one of my big things. People always say, I'm going to do that when I've got more time. Mm-hmm. Come yeah. back to me then in 10 years time and tell me when you <laughs> magically found that time. But, you know, that's probably the biggest barrier for a lot of people. Yeah. I haven't got oh, time to do it. You will sure. never have time to do it. You have to yeah. make the time, and yeah, ring fence right. the time. Yeah. And that was kind of, that was at that point i thought yeah i need to protect the time that i've got and just just get on with it and and that that first well i don't know was that novel the first one you worked on did that become cherry tree cafe or, or was that something else no it was something else so it was um the very first book i wrote was called when the country calls and it was set in um predominantly set in winbridge which became my first series and as I say, it was just to see if I could do 100,000 words. Could I hit that word count? Yeah. And then, you know, I, I put that one to bed and then I um, I had to go with the Cherry Tree Cafe, which I thought would probably be more marketable. But that first book didn't go to waste because a lot of the setting, some of the characters and a bit of the plot, that became Summer at Skylark Farm, which was my second novel. So everything you write can be used in some way even if it's only dragging out one character or one tiny plot point everything is of value so mm. it didn't become my debut but it's a lot of it is in the second book so so the 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 book that you wrote but then didn't um take on anywhere you know what was the difference between that in your mind between that book and the cherry tree cafe you know what what was it about that first book that you thought wasn't suitable 
I think I just didn't feel confident enough to put it out there because it was a first try. Okay. I don't know. I honestly don't know how you would think about it. You know, if you compared the two, I don't know how they would stand up to each other. But, you know, we have to, I think we've got to have faith in what we're, what we're going to submit if we're going to make that leap and do it. And I felt that the, I love the story of the Cherry Tree Cafe. Um, and I felt that that, that would be the one that I could possibly do something with. And that was the book that I submitted to the RNA New Writers Scheme. So you have a published author critique the book and the notes that came back were really positive, suggested quite a few changes, which I did instigate. I got all these changes made before it went out on submission. Um, and then it was, it was, I don't know, a fate, I suppose, that SNS had their Books in the City one day open call for submissions and that was when the book went in. The timing was perfect. The book had just been finished. They had their open day and and off it went. And a few weeks later, I got that magical email back that said, we'd like to invite you to London to talk about the book. It's it's funny because it, so many authors that we've had on are, you know, they, they all talk about the importance of timing and, and the sort of luck of timing just being the right something some opportunity or some person they've met or something coming along just at the right time but yeah. I suppose as well you know it, it it is that but it's also the fact that you've been putting in the work beforehand yes. and it's all it's all just come together at the right time I guess but th- there's a bit more than just sheer sheer luck of timing involved there I mean yeah. with, with, with that one it was an open call by a publisher ha- had you sent it out more widely to agents and stuff like that no, it was the only place it went. And, um, yeah, so I was thrilled to... I think I was just kind of, like, dipping my toe in the water. I thought, well, mm. if I do one thing at a time, it's still a big leap, but it doesn't feel like a huge, huge leap. Um, I hadn't even tried for an agent at that point. Um, it was just purely that this opportunity came along. It could be an unsolicited manuscript. They wanted the first... I think they wanted the first three chapters. And, uh, yeah, and uh, and off it went. But it, you're right about the whole work thing. It is the harder I work, the luckier I get, because... Yeah. You know, you see those opportunities come along and you've got the work done so you can take advantage of them and, mm. um, and you know, and get submitting. Um, and obviously you have an agent now. And so um, my understanding is that you got the deal for the publishing deal first and then you got the agent second. Is that is that right? Yeah, I think I had signed, uh, I think I just signed my third contract when I oh, thought, wow. right, I'm going to submit, I'm going to start submitting, trying to find an agent. Um, I had been getting on really well. I mean, SNS are a, they're a green publisher. I'm so lucky with the team that I've got. Most of the people I'm working with now, I was working with right from the beginning. Um, but it was a couple of authors. We had a, a lovely publishing night down in London, a big party, and a couple of them said to me, well, you're still you're still not working with an agent. And I said, well, no, everything's going well. Sales are fantastic. You know, money's going in the right direction. Everything's good. And they said, yeah, but if you, you know, publishers do like to work through an agent. And if you, you know, if you can find an agent, you will kind of see what more they can do for you because Mm -hmm. obviously they have got the knowledge. They know, um, you know, if all of your rights are being used up. And, you know, at that point I hadn't um, got any books in audio so I thought, right, I'm going to look for an agent and, and see see who I feel that I would want to work with and who possibly might want to work with me. Um, and then I went through the slush pile. I submitted through the slush pile. I didn't take a, a recommendation or anything because I thought, you, you know, I can't. I, I'm not so arrogant that I'm just going to phone you up and say, right, do you want to represent me? So um, I submitted to Amanda Preston at LBA. 
uh, didn't hear anything for quite a while. And then she happened to be talking to my then editor, Emma Capron, and, um, and said, oh, I've got an author who's looking for who's looking for representation. And Amanda said, oh, I think I've seen her, seen her sitting in my lengthy, you know, pile of unopened emails. And um, and yeah, so she opened it up, had a read, looked at the figures and invited me down to London and decided to represent me that day, which was amazing. I mean, it's it's a it's a you would think that, you know, when you when you're in your position, for example, that has had successful books out at that point, it would be a bit of a no brainer for an agent at that point Mm -hmm. to say yeah okay because the, it, you know the, the risk for them is much less than it is with someone completely un, untested I suppose in the publishing market yeah uh, yeah I agree absolutely you know I'd already got a really good track record at that point mm. but um that still didn't give me me personally no, the sure. confidence yeah. to yeah. go <laughs> and you know just say can I come down and and have a chat but um but thankfully she, she you know she was keen to represent me and we've got a fantastic relationship and she's friends with my editor and it all it, it works wonderfully well and, and and what is it that you what is it that she does bring to the table then as as having an agent as opposed to not before so i mean more often than not i still work directly with the publisher Obviously, she has got so much more knowledge than I have when it comes to renewing contracts. Mm-hmm. You know, um, like she she blagged up really quickly that we weren't doing anything with the audio rights, and straight away all the books went to went to audio. So you know, she's got that she's got that knowledge. That's what you're mm-hmm. you're kind of paying her for. Mm-hmm. Um, she's a fantastic sounding board. You know, if I've got any little concerns about a book, I know I can go to her, even though I could go straight to my editor more often than not, this is a whole big group email. You know, we're all, we're all chatting together. Um, but yeah, she's just great to have it there as that kind of that go between. And if I get, cause I get so many uh, offers to read proofs now, which are amazing, but you can't possibly take them all yeah. as much as you'd like to. And I'm really rubbish at saying no, I would say yes to everything if I could. But, you know, she is aware that with my writing schedule, two books a year is pretty full on. So she is the person who can go back and explain that. And that kind of lessens my guilt because I don't yeah. want to put <laughs> yeah. body down. So, um, you know, she's, she's just amazing for, for so many things. And, uh, yeah, I'm, you know, I love having her in my corner. She's, uh, Brilliant. she's a huge help. And basically, I, I suppose at the most basic level, she lets me get on with writing the books and that's yeah. what I need to do. Well, you mentioned there what I was about to ask you, which is that you put out two books a year, which is... Mm-hmm you know a crazy amount of books um, it's it's a really impressive number and it must be well we'll ask about how, how how you find that because i know for some people writing one book every two years is is yeah. is quite hard um but how do you you know how do you find the time for that what's your process in being able to put out two, a book every six months uh well i haven't had a holiday since 2016 <laughs> so that kind of gives you some idea of how it's going but um I think it's just a routine that I have got into now. The first three books, I'll look at the shelf now. The first three books came out, um, and I think we were one a year. And after that, the publisher said, we really like you putting out a Christmas book, and it did so wonderfully well. And we would like that to be, you know, a regular thing. Can you do it? And right. at the time, the children were still reasonably young, and I was working as a teaching assistant um, for children with special needs, which was a demanding job. And I, I could manage the one a year 
doing all of that, but not the two a year. So that was the point that I decided I have to go full time. Mm. So that was, you know, that was that was a big leap. Um, and I guess I just kind of I have got into that routine and you've always got three books in your head. So you've got the book that you are about to publish. You've got the book that you're working on at the moment and deadline day, first draft submission day always falls around the same time as publication day. And then you are thinking where you're going next. Mm -hmm. uh, I tell you what can be quite tricky when, when you've got a book coming out and you are already finishing writing the next book and you've got to get your head back into the yeah. book that's being published because you know all about it, but nobody else does. So you have to go back and you know refresh your mind. That's not been as tricky this time because the book lovers, which comes out in April is my first standalone. Yeah. And so that, that has got a very different place in my head and it's got a completely different feel to it. So, um, yeah, it's just it is just a constant kind of ongoing process where you just got three in your head all at all at once. And at the moment, when I'm writing the first draft, I will, you know, I'm at my desk by half past six in the morning and then I will just write until I can't write anymore. And uh, and then get on with the admin recording podcasts, writing newsletters and doing all that sort of thing in, in the afternoon. And and with the Christmas books in particular, I mean, how do you keep coming up with with ideas for for that? You know, is it is it just you know, are you able to take an idea that you have and just say, right, I'm going to set this one at Christmas, or do you have to think specifically, right, how do I make this one particularly Christmassy? I I have Christmas in my head first because when I was I was so excited when I was asked to write my first Christmas book because you know there weren't everybody's writing Christmas books now but at the time there weren't yeah. that many there weren't that many Christmas books and I thought right I I want to get this right I feel as if there's um if there's a heavy weight of reader responsibility if somebody's picking up a book with Christmas in the title and when I ask readers and friends and family you know what do you expect from this book. And they said, we want it to say Christmas. And, you know, sometimes you pick up a book that's got Christmas in the title and Christmas barely gets a look in. So for me, if it's got Christmas on, in the title, it has got to have a lot of Christmas stuff mm -hmm. in it. Um, and setting some of them in Winbridge, which is a small town with a very well-established kind of Christmas setup. You've got the lights going on. You've got a bake sale. You've got a Christmas tree auction. You've got all those things happening. And that kind of makes it easier to incorporate the story of the character that you're writing about around all of those things. The only Christmas book that I've put out that didn't have Christmas in the title was The Winter Garden. And there was a lot about SAD in that one. Um, and we had the Winterfest, which wasn't a Christmas fest. It was Winterfest. And it was, you know, developing strategies of how people can cope with winter because not everybody enjoys the short, dark days. Yeah. Yeah. It's been my first winter on my loan this year. And I know I found it a very different experience. So I was adamant that we wouldn't have Christmas in that title, even though there's Christmas in the book. But it was more about, um, the, you know, the actual winter garden than Christmas. So I have completely lost the thread of what you asked me about. No, it, it, was just, it was just about, you know, getting getting these different ideas for, for Christmas set books as opposed to other stories, I guess. But, yeah, you, you sort of start with Christmas in your head and then think, yeah, right, what, I do. What, what idea could it develop yeah. here? Yeah. And I wondered, because you've obviously got a, a, a very loyal following of people who, who must now 
find you as a regular fixture, like a, you know, your Christmas book is something I look forward to. And I've seen comments from fans online who say things like, oh, it's not Christmas until I read one of, the, one of our books, etc. And so does that, and I kind of wondered, how does that put you in the mindset of of sitting down to actually write it and plan it? Because do you, do you think there's tropes that I need to put in there that people expect? And is that restrictive or is that quite nice to have that um, comfort? Uh, well, firstly, it's a huge privilege when people say things like that. I mean, you know, that what when I was looking back, going around Tesco's with the kids in the trolley, looking at those shelves, that was what I was trying to reach. So, for yeah. you know, people message me. I think they message me more after the Christmas books come out than at any other time of year. And there's often something in there that they can relate to. I had a lady who um, messaged me years ago when sleigh rides came out and said that she had been widowed at Christmas and she hadn't put her decorations up since. But having journeyed with the main character through that book and seeing how she fell back in love with Christmas, she had gone into the loft that year and she'd got her decorations down and she put them up. And it was such a moving experience. And, you know, joys of social media, I've been able to stay in touch with that lovely reader ever since, which is amazing. Mm So I do feel as if there are certain things that I need to get in there. Because it is Christmas and there are, you know, if you're not wrapping presents and putting up a tree, it's not, you know, it's not a Christmas book. So there are (laughs) always things that I feel needs to go in there. And the three different series, um, even though we've only got two set at Winmouth, which is the seaside, we had the Christmas tree plantation there, which was such fun to write. Um, But I do feel that each of the settings have different traditions and things that they do at Christmas time. So it's, um, you know, that's quite handy to to peg parts of the story onto that. So, uh, so yeah. And, and what about the, the actual, because, you know, these books are coming out at Christmas, you're very Christmassy for the readers, but when are you, you know, are you writing them? What's your sort of schedule? How When do these ones have to be written so that they're published? By a lot Christmas? of people say to me, do you find it difficult writing summer at Christmas? And do you find it difficult writing Christmas at summer? But um, yeah. I don't really think about it like that. I did used to keep a jar of mince meat in the fridge for editing time because we would be getting into the summer then, you know. Michael Bublé on Spotify, jar of mince meat in the fridge. But I think now I, I'm just so used to it. I don't take any notice if it's 40 degrees and I do improved pages for Christmas. In fact, if anything, it's a respite from the wretched heat. But, um, but I kind of... So at the moment, I'm writing the first draft of Christmas 23 and I started that in January. So even though I'm not writing it at Christmas, I've still got Christmas okay. in my head because we've just yeah. had it. And that's the same with the summer one as well. The way it kind of that, the initial, the starting of it and getting those first words down, they tend to happen really close to the right season. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I, I guess that, I guess that is a bit of a help, but of course, by the time, by the time it comes to finishing, them, we are completely, completely out of season and you've just got to go with it. Jingle bells in July, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> And 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 what what's your process? I, I think I read online that you write your first draft longhand. Is that correct? I used to write um, longhand. So when I was working, I would get up at five and write longhand for an hour before the kids got up. Wow. Then I would sit in my car during my lunch hour and carry on in that scrappy A A four. Not a nice notebook. I hasten to add. This was A four. You know, like files from the supermarket. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And um, and I would sit in my car and write for an hour. 
And sometimes it would be boiling hot and sometimes it would be freezing cold and the kids were on the playground in front of me shaking on the fence saying, Mrs. Spain, I'll see you in your car. Oh, goodness me. <laughs> and then in the evening, I would type up what I had written during the day. Now I don't tend to do that. I am straight onto the screen. Um, I love writing longhand, though, because your brain has longer to process, doesn't yeah. it? There's definitely well, less editing. Down, yeah, 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 yeah. So I, sure. I like it. But I just don't. I don't really do it anymore, unless I'm I'm out and feeling inspired. Then I will, mm-hmm. you know, get some notes down. But um, it's mostly me in front of the screen now, straight onto, straight onto a word document. I, I, I like the idea of writing longhand, but I think going back to what we were talking about at the start, it's it, it seems more prohibitive to me because you're less you know it's it's although it's as easy as stroking it out with a pen but it kind of you don't want to make so many mistakes because otherwise the page takes longer to correct them yeah yeah whereas if it's on a word processor you can just hit select delete and and it's gone and you can start writing again yeah yeah that's that's very true i think jill mansell still writes every one of her manuscripts longhand all of them and then her daughter types them up because i think she's the only person who can interpret her and she writes with these beautiful fountain pens in like purple ink and yeah I, i'm probably on a chaise lounge i would imagine but no that's not that's not for me grips. <laughs> and i imagine as well that that you plan these out or, or are you a pantser no i'm a planner i am you know i'm a planner i am a list maker i add things to my phone schedule every day even if i've already done them just so i can tick them off you know i'm I'm one of those people um and also i haven't got time to be a pantser i because i've got not long to get that book written so i need to know where it's going before i start so i have a plan um i send off sort of two or three a4 sheets to my agent and my editor them to have a look through then we'll have a, a chat much as we are now um to, to to go through that and they'll flag up anything they're not happy with or things that they really are happy with um and then i am i'm head down and i will just keep writing that first uh, you know keep working at that first draft until it's done i think the quickest i've written in the first draft was about nine and a half ten weeks right. um, wow. that was you know that was Monday to Friday, just keep going for as long as I can. I never finish my writing day without knowing what I'm going to write the next day. So if I finish a chapter, I will bring up the next chapter heading and like write the first paragraph. And then during the afternoon, I'm thinking about how that's going to go, which just that really speeds it up. I couldn't sit down and think, right, what am I going to write today? I can't, yeah. I can't do that. I've heard of authors who'd like stop in the middle of a sentence for that yeah. for the same sort of reason. That yeah. they, they know, at least they'll be able to complete the sentence when they sit down the next Exactly. Day. And I think by yeah. the time you finish that sentence, you have got, you've, you're back in the zone, aren't you? And it's that yeah. much easier to, to keep going. But I, I never, even though I've got the plan, my editor will probably laugh when she listens to this because you're like, yeah, but what you give me doesn't always add up to the plan, does it? <laughs> no, it doesn't. Because I don't, you know, you there's only so much you can plan because until you have written 30,000, 40,000 words, that's the point when you're really getting to know those characters. And that's, you know, and I quite often get to thirty or 40,000 words and think, I've now got to go back and change stuff at the beginning because this is not the behaviour of the person who we had at the start. So yeah. I think you have to be, if you have a plan, you still have to be flexible and yeah. allow for those changes and, and that character development. Because as I say, until you, until you start putting them on the screen, you don't really know who's who's rocking up and you're working with. And 
you 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 break your books up into into series, and you've got three series there. Mm-hmm. But as you mentioned earlier on, you've got your first standalone book, which is out uh, next month. Yeah. Um. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what it's about and why you decided to go down the standalone path? Oh, I'm so excited about this book. So it's called the Book Lovers Retreat, <laughs> and last year was a huge year for me. I moved house. I had a first draft submission deadline, and I turned fifty all on the same day. It was huge. It was monumental. And I kind of, I felt up for anything last year. So when my editor came to me and said, why do you fancy having a crack at a standalone? I was like, yeah, bring it on. We'll give it a go. Time for, you know, time for a change, time to mix it up a bit. Um, And then my daughter and I were binge watching Sex Education on Netflix. And there is a house on there, which I just absolutely with. and my daughter is it the main is it the the, the main house yeah. no. you know the one yeah, it's, it's gorgeous it's quite a house it's yeah. beautiful i just had to say i don't know where it's meant to be england somewhere i think it's i think it's actually it. i think in wales or oh, is it in wales right? if okay. memory serves because my yeah, daughter said to me oh my god you keep going on about this house she said you can rent it she said but it's really expensive oh. and it's booked up for the next couple of years and i was like no oh, so wow. On with the search engine, you know, had a look, and she was right. It was very expensive, and it was booked up. But that kind, of, that idea of being able to visit somewhere that had either featured in a book, or had been used in a film or TV series, that was the hook for me. That was what just stuck in my head, and, uh, and I thought, oh well, who could go? You know, who could go? Who could go and stay there? And if you're going, you might as well go for the whole summer. You know, make a you know really big thing of it. And that was that was how it happened. Um, and we've got Emily, the main character, and her friends Rachel and Tori, and they have booked this lakeside cottage in the Lake District, which was a setting I hadn't written about before. And uh, and they go, or they're supposed to go. There's a twist at the beginning, which might mean that they don't all end up going. Um, and they go there for six weeks. They spend the summer there, and they've got a lot of stuff to work through. And it was really nice to be able. And not just tell their story, but to keep referring back to the book that they had all fallen in love in love with. Um, and then the cottage, the cottage at Lakeside was the actual place where the film of the book was set. So, you know, you can pull in all those extra bits yeah. as well. And it just mm-hmm. it felt very indulgent. I always write about things I love. Um, I often give my main characters skills that I wish I had. You know, and they've always got a dog that I wish I had. You know, I've gone from a chihuahua <laughs> to a wolfhound in these books. So, yeah, it felt very self-indulgent because, you know, who wouldn't want to go and spend six weeks in a, in a cottage by the lakes, really? Oh, yeah, it'd be awesome. Oh, it was the most and, wonderful book to write. I've loved it. Was it nice, though, working on a... Because you, you've got these three different series. Like, how does your headspace work in terms of jumping between them? And was it nice to work in a, a completely new sort of... It was it was wonderful. It felt very freeing because everything was completely new mm-hmm. and it's been a long time. I mean, the Cherry Tree Cafe was originally supposed to be a standalone. We didn't know how popular it was going to be and that I would you know, set the same book in the similar area. So this was all completely new, completely fresh. And I think maybe that was why I wrote that first draft so quickly, because I wasn't having to think, I need to make a visit here. I need to bring this character in from another book because the readers love seeing characters come back in um and getting yeah. to know getting to know what's happened to them since they had their story told so um so yeah writing this was just it, it did feel very very freeing i really enjoyed it and i'm hoping if it goes down well 
fingers crossed, NetGalley so far doing its business. Um, yeah, if it goes down well, then going forward, I will hopefully write one standalone book a year and a series book a year. How that will be divided up between Christmas and summer at the moment, we don't know. But um, that's that's kind of the plan at the moment. I was going to say, you're not adding like a standalone in <laughs> a third book. Every four book. months. Yeah, exactly. No, definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> And and so so what have you got? This is as as we record this, uh, book lovers retreat is out next month. Yeah. Um, uh, you're working on the Christmas book. What what else is in the pipeline? So Christmas moment? book goes in. I think deadline for that is April the sixth. Book lover comes out April the thirteenth, and then I will start to turn my attention to where we go next. So the next book will be a summer book. Really hard to plan in too much detail at the moment because I don't know how the book lovers is going to go down. So am I going to be writing a standalone or am I going to want to write a series book so that I can have a Christmas standalone? So it's all a bit up in the air at the moment. I have got an idea for the next summer standalone, but when that will fall into the schedule, I'm not sure. I'm kind of being careful at the moment, trying to keep my head in this Christmas book. Um, had a lot go on over the last few weeks with the RNA awards ceremony and all the excitement of that. So I'm trying, trying to keep my focus really on Christmas 23 at the moment. But there, as I say, there is this initial spark of an idea for um, a summer standalone, which I guess potentially could turn into a series book. But I think the idea that I've got is big enough to work as as a standalone. So we we will see. I will be filling my agent in. Oh, you know, after deadline day, and seeing seeing what she thinks of that one. And and do you have like a, a what one of your many notebooks? Does that have like a, any ideas for potential future stories? Yeah, I have kind somewhere? of a I have what I call a busy book, like when you have it in you know year one or kindergarten, you have a busy book that yeah. you can make a mess of. And I will I do just write at random ideas down there, and I also have like um, a note section on my phone. Um, and if I tend to write down, if I've had an idea inspired by perhaps a tweet I've read or a post I've seen on Instagram, I write down the idea that I've had, but I also write down what inspired it, where that initial yeah. idea came from. Because yeah. it's so easy to forget. Once you've ended up yeah. with the whole book, you kind of think, how did this start? And you might not necessarily remember. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's good to it's good to have the busy book. Excellent. Now, now you, you mentioned it just there, but um, I was going to ask you about the... Um, the, the award you won uh, from the Romantic Novelist Association for a Christmas celebration, which um, which came out in December last year, That's it, yeah, um, and has obviously been a very big success. I mean, how how did it feel to win that that award? Oh, it was amazing! I couldn't believe it. I think my first goal was after I'd got published, I wanted to make the Sunday Times list. Got that, and it's like, where do you, what's next? Where do we go next? So it was winning an RNA award. That was, you know the validation from from your peers that was that was the kind of the next thing on the list and I had had two books nominated before hadn't won disappointing you never want to say it's disappointing because you're always pleased for the person who has won but actually but really you are you are gutted you (laughs) gutted. You wanted that trophy on the shelf it's right on the shelf behind me here I'm I'm glad oh yeah I'm glad it's in shot you see the star there but um I got the email to say that I had won because the Popular Romantic Fiction Award, the winner is always announced prior to the awards ceremony. I'm not sure why that is, but that's the one that's announced. Everybody else has the list of nominees are announced, but not the overall winner until the night. 
So I got this email about, I think it's about the third week of December. And I read it and I read it and I printed it out and I read it again. And I was like, yeah, this, this is really telling me that I have won this award. And I cried a lot and I'm not a crier. I have been accused of being hard hearted in the past, but we won't go into that. I'm not, you know, I'm not generally someone who sheds a tear very easily, but this just meant so much. It, yeah. But I was sworn to secrecy. The email said, you're not allowed to tell anybody until the announcements are made on the oh, 31st God. of January. And I'm like, oh my God, that's six months. <laughs> How am I going to keep this quiet? That's, that's such so, a long time. It is a really long time. And so I had, you know, I had this knowledge and I wasn't allowed to share it with anybody. And on the day that the announcement was made, on the 31st of January, my agent, Amanda, she emailed me. She was like, this is amazing. Congratulations. But why the heck didn't you tell me? Why didn't you fill me in? And my editor was saying the same thing. And I was like, and the email said we weren't allowed to tell anyone. And I didn't want to jinx it. I was really scared they'd take it away if I didn't. Well, didn't even tell, tell your agent. No, I didn't tell anyone. But, uh, <laughs> you know, going forward, you know, I'm just getting hot just at the thought of it because she was like, I cannot believe you didn't tell me. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, I didn't tell anyone. I just sat on it for the few weeks and I was getting kind of more and more G'd up because I knew I was going to have to make a speech. And I knew that Doctor Who, Peter Davison, was going to be giving me that trophy on the night, you know, oh, wow. and it was a lot. But um, oh, it was amazing. It was a phenomenal night. The lists this year, the nominations this year were just incredible. It was an amazing year for fiction, romantic fiction last year. So, um, yeah, and it was it was great to all get together and, and, and celebrate that. You know, it was amazing. Brilliant. I'm excited about it. As you can probably tell, I've probably just bust the ball. Well, as, as you should be, you know. <laughs> Oh, absolutely well earned. Yeah, yeah. totally. Um, yeah, winning an award is, as you say, you've got these goals in your head as a, uh, when you're starting to write. And, yeah. You know, so it was, to, to it was achieve them. It's amazing. phenomenal to achieve that. And that award is voted for by um, like librarians and book bloggers. And, and just to kind of, you know, to win that, it was, it was incredible. It made me actually mm-hmm. think I might know what I'm doing. what was the last book that you read last book that i read was the wedding dress repair shop by trisha ashley there's a proof of the book that she is releasing in june um i am probably the world's biggest trisha ashley super fan i love her work i've loved her work for years so now to be asked to read a proof and to be asked for a quote for the cover is immense so that was the last book I read and I absolutely loved it the last book that I read that wasn't a proof was my extraordinary life by Rebecca Ryan which was a debut and that was phenomenal I devoured it in about two days I don't have a lot of time to read so you know how much I loved it if I developed yeah. something. <laughs> that was just, that was gorgeous. So that is out at the moment. The official book is coming out in June, in hardback and ebook first, I think. Brilliant. Nice. Um, and what about the last film that you watched? Oh, the last film I watched. Oh, funnily enough, it was uh, Avatar. It was the first one. My daughter is absolutely obsessed with Avatar at the moment, and she was heading off with her dad to the cinema yesterday to see it for, I believe, it was either the fifth or the sixth time. She's seen oh, it wow. in like 2D, 3D, wow. 4D, 5D, where the 
chucking the water at you. Four and a half hours you know. long as well, so that's about yeah, a week and a half. I know that's, that's a big deal. But so that was the last film I watched. It was it was Avatar. Watched it at home on the TV and um, loved it as much as I did the first time. Great. Nice. Uh, and uh, TV series that you're watching or have watched? TV series. So I have been um, I've been rewatching Downton Abbey. I came to Downton Abbey actually really really late. Didn't watch it at all when it was being aired live, as it were. And um, my mum was a huge fan of it. And I just felt as if I'd, because I'd missed like the first 17 seasons. I didn't feel as if I was ever going to be able to catch up. Um, And then COVID struck and we had those crazy summers of lockdown. And that was it for me. I just sat and watched watched the whole thing. And I do tend to, I tend to watch things that I have already seen before when I'm writing because it's there and it's lovely. And I haven't got to think about it too much. I've got to process anything new. So Downton. Um, but I'm also watching The Ghost Files with Shane and Ryan on uh, on YouTube, oh, which is kind of, they were a BuzzFeed thing. They're not a BuzzFeed thing anymore, but uh, they're great fun. So I've been watching that as well. That's great. <laughs> An eclectic well, the, mix. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah it sounds so. like Avatar, Downton Abbey, <laughs> BuzzFeed. Um, well, the, the very last thing we do is a super quick fire, either or, and... Um, I always say there's no right answer here apart from one, perhaps. But we'll start off with uh, Katie Ford or Jojo Moyes. Oh, Katie Ford. Um, TV or cinema? TV. Uh, Night Owl or Early oh, Bird? Oh, definitely Early Bird. <laughs> um, music or no music when you're writing? No music. The only thing I like to have is the tingling of the tinnitus in my ears (laughs) (laughs) and uh, the last one uh, audiobook or ebook ebook ah that's the correct answer what would you have said what would you have said if he had said real book or ebook ah see now I find that really tricky because I do like to read ebook at bedtime and bedtime is the time I predominantly read and I have got a book an ebook bean bag and you just have right, the e-reader yeah. on oh, your nice. e-bag. You can have sit on that. It's just yeah, one yeah. finger, guys. You just got to swipe, and there's no Listen, danger you're of getting pre- whacked. Preaching to the converted here. <laughs> I, I am big. Oh yeah, big fan. But honestly, we're a, we're a dying breed. Yeah, no, we ask Tarakas all our all our guests about this, and very few actually say e-book, much to his yeah. disappointment. So, uh, okay, if I'm reading in the day, it's mostly um, proofs are generally e-book because I I can't bear the thought of throwing that beautiful book away. But I can't keep them all because it would be a fire hazard. Um, yeah. But generally, if I, you know, if I'm reading during the day, I might have a non-fiction book on the go it, during the day as, as well, and that's generally that paper. We're, we're nice. paper book, yeah. Well, thanks very much to Heidi for coming on there, and you know, I mentioned it at the start, but there's so many writers that we have on this program program on this podcast don't go through the conventional route don't go through that three chapters and a synopsis through a slush pile and get picked up you know approaching a publisher directly getting picked up that way and then getting the agent after it it does just show you that there are so many routes into the industry despite if you looked it up on the internet you'd be told one way of doing it only yeah yeah i think it's very easy to kind of get sidetracked into that thinking of you know you've got to go down the standard route of application you've got there's no other way of doing that and and this fear of like if you veer off that course at all you'll get just chucked into the slush pile or the bin that yeah. no one will consider you because you didn't follow the rules and and really 
There are no rules. Yeah, if you go to uh, go via an agent's application process, you have to follow whatever they say the rules are for their specific application. Fine, but in the broader picture, I think there's no right or wrong way of doing it. You know, going down an agent pathway is one way. There's, there's other ways of doing it. There's competitions. There's going direct to publishers. There's self-publishing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. There's 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 no right or wrong way of doing it. And I think that's something I've really enjoyed hearing all our guests talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and as I said at the start, Heidi's book is now out, so you can pick that one up. And obviously, there will be the Christmas book coming out uh, later in the year. Uh, we'll put up a link to all of her books in the podcast description. But um, next week, we are staying on the theme of romance. Ooh. Summer flings, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We are chatting with Veronica Henry who um, has written, again, an absolutely incredible number of books. Uh, she has written for The Archers. That was her kind of first route into the industry. She moved again, into TV writing, yeah. um, and then she's kind of worked her way into the world of books now. So it's it's a really a really interesting in, uh, chat with her, a really interesting journey that she's been on. Um, yeah, so please do tune in for that one. But if you enjoyed today's episode, please do take the time to give us a rating and review on your favourite podcast app. That always helps us. Uh, and I'm looking forward to this next bit because we now have two new social media accounts, Tarek, to oh, include we've, in your little call out practice here. this. Right, okay, here we go. <clears throat> so if you want to get in touch with us, you can send us an email, which is podcast at rightgear.co.uk, or you can send us a tweet in the Twitter machine, which is at UK page one, or you can follow us on Mastodon, which is writing.exchange forward slash at page one pod. Or you can find us on YouTube, where we are uh, youtube.com forward slash at page one podcast. Uh, or we're on Blue Sky. We are on Blue Sky. And we're here. I'll make it easy for you. Right. And actually easier for listeners. We're at UK page one on threads, on Instagram, on Blue Sky, on Facebook. On most things, we're at UK Page One. It's just Mastodon and YouTube where we're slightly different there. Nice. Okay, That's yeah. the way to think That's about it. That's how to think about it. I've been going the wrong way. There's, an, there's yeah. an easier system here. At UK Page One for pretty yeah. much everything. Yeah, right. yeah, and you'll find us there. So, yeah, please do uh, please do drop us a message. I don't know what they call the equivalent of a tweet no on we Threads. We're on Threads yet, Marco. Or, or on Blue Sky. Yeah, we're on Threads, we're on threads on Blue Sky. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's good. So, I mean, for for yeah, the love of God, people, please send us a message. Marcus spent most of his life running and monitoring <laughs> 12 social media accounts now. <laughs> please don't, to be honest. I'm quite happy when I'm not on social media. Um, but yeah, have a great week and we will speak to you again next episode. See you later. 